and welcome to this week's episode of the Real World Nutrition Podcast. I'm Shelly Rael, and I am the host of this podcast. This is episode number 58, and also part five of a series that I'm doing on all things sugar. So if you haven't heard the other episodes, I don't, I'm not going to count backwards, but as I said, this is part five. I've done four other episodes related to other things sugar. You do not have to listen to them in order. You do not have to listen to them to understand this episode, but it does help with context, especially with the first part where I addressed carbohydrates versus sugar and recognizing or helping people understand and recognizing that all sugars are carbohydrates, but not all carbohydrates are sugars. And if that doesn't make sense to you or that confuses you, I do encourage you to go back to that episode and listen to that one as well. Now, I won't cover all of that information here because I have covered it in the previous episodes, And I will link in the show notes the topics of the other episodes in case you are not following me on your favorite podcast platform wherever you are listening to this. I encourage you to do that because there is a new episode every Friday morning and during the fall 2022 holiday season, I am doing extra episodes on Tuesdays as well. So you'll get all of those if you subscribe or follow, not subscribe. I don't have a paid app or a paid portion to subscribe. Follow the podcast, as I've mentioned. All right. So as I said, this is part five of the series I'm doing on all things sugar. And today I'm going to address those low calorie sweeteners or what people will call artificial sweeteners Sometimes we call them non-nutritive sweeteners. So these are one of the more feared things in nutrition, these low-calorie sweeteners. And as I said, we will also call them non-nutritive sweeteners, or as people say, artificial sweeteners. And I get so many questions about this. So many questions about people who have concerns about these low-calorie sweeteners, and whether they are safe to use. And people will swear that they cause cancer. People will swear that they cause weight gain. People will swear they have all kinds of adverse health effects. In fact, back in the old days, because most people, I shouldn't say the old days, but When email was still relatively new, people would forward, 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 and forward, and forward, and forward all kinds of misinformation about some of these non-nutritive sweeteners. And, you know, this was before social media where people could just post it and we'd get those emails that were constantly forwarded. And boy, what a huge time waster that was. But On that note, one of those things that I got forwarded all the time was this long, long list of aspartame's negative health impacts, that it caused seizures, it caused vision issues, it caused MS, it caused migraines, and pretty much all of those were untrue. 
And I mean, it caused everything. I'm sure it caused the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse as well. But really, research didn't support any of that. So I'll talk a little bit about what is aspartame. Now, there are many non-nutritive sweeteners, and I'm not going to go into all of them in this episode. But what I am going to address is what we call these, quote, tabletop sweeteners. Because these are ones that you can use, you can buy them at the grocery store, you can find them in restaurants or at coffee shops that are in the whole little container of all the different packets that you may find on top of the table at a restaurant. So the ones that I'll address today, so there's some um, that I said that are used in some of our products or foods, but we don't consider them tabletop sweeteners because we don't find them in little packets and generally don't buy them at the grocery store along with these others. So the four that I'm going to address today are aspartame, saccharin, stevia, and sucralose. So again, I will refer to those. Those are their their names. There are some branded names that go with them. And then I'll just refer to them as the color packets that they tend to come in. And I don't know if like behind the scenes, all these companies agreed that we'll all do yellow or we'll all do blue, but that does seem to be what has happened. So I'm really just gonna go in alphabetical order here. So I'll start with the aspartame. And the aspartame is most commonly known as NutraSweet, or what I refer to as the blue packets. So the little light blue packets, you're probably familiar with them. NutraSweet is a brand name. There's other names that you might find them under brand names that you'll find them under. And I remember in the 80s when this was a brand new sweetener or non-nutritive sweetener on the market, I remember them I think they were like little red gumballs that came out. doesn't really matter as much as what is aspartame. Aspartame is merely two amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of protein. So proteins have 20 different amino acids that make up the various structures that are protein. And yes, I'm talking protein in a in a podcast about non-nutritive sweeteners. So with proteins, when I talk about amino acids, I give the example as if you think of the different amino acids, the 20 amino acids as individual Lego bricks, and then we put those amino acids together or those Legos together to create bigger structures. So just a little overview there. So aspartame, are two of those amino acids, one of which is aspartic acid, which is an amino acid. I know people freak out when they hear the word acid, but this isn't always a bad thing. And the second amino acid is phenylalanine. And I think I brought that one up in an old podcast episode about the silly myth that if you can't pronounce it, don't eat it. Most people cannot pronounce phenylalanine, but it is something we do need to consume. Don't worry, you're probably doing it just by eating food. So aspartame is two amino acids bonded together, aspartic acid and phenylalanine. 
And when we have these two amino acids bonded together, it is about 200 times sweeter than sugar. So what this means is that we only need to use a very small amount to get a sweet taste. If we used it in the same quantity as sugar, because it's 200 times sweeter, it would be overwhelming and it would also have measurable calories. But because we use it in such a small amount, it's pretty much no calories. Now, with aspartame, it is not heat stable. So what this means is that we really shouldn't use it in baking. It won't have any harm in baking. It just won't have the sweet taste. I remember a very long time ago, my husband's roommate had bought a box of NutraSweet packets at what is now Costco. It was a different name back then. And it was, he stored it in the garage and it got old and there wasn't anything wrong with it. But when I passed it on to a family member, she had mentioned it had, it had no taste. It didn't provide sweetness. Well, what had happened is because it was stored in a garage, a hot garage, and it was old, it had just lost its sweet taste. It wasn't bad. It wasn't harmful. Nothing had changed. Just that it had just, it, it, heat damages it and it doesn't have the sweet taste to it. So again, we don't use this in baking. And the FDA did approve aspartame for use in 1981. And as I said, it became more popular in the mid 80s as it became more wide, widely available. Now, you will see a warning label on products that have aspartame. And it is for people who have this condition known as PKU or phenylketonuria. And PKU is a condition that we are tested for when we're born because we cannot, not we, those who have PKU cannot handle the amino acid phenylalanine. And so they need to avoid foods with phenylalanine. So if you're worried you have this, this PKU, you probably don't because you would have known about it your whole life. You would know what foods to avoid. I'm not going into that now because it's not something that most people need to be educated about in this context. So yes, there's a warning label on there, but it doesn't apply to most people. So again, the warning is just for people who have PKU or phenylketonuria, and they cannot metabolize the amino acid phenylalanine. Now, next up is saccharin. And probably, not probably, and this is the oldest of the bunch here. And these are what I say are often, not just what I say, they are found often in the pink packets. And the most common brand name is Sweet and Low. And this one, I'm not kidding when I say it's old, it was discovered in the 1800s, has been used since 1900, and the FDA approved it back in 1970. And saccharin is... 200 to 700 times sweeter than sugar. So again, a very small amount is needed to get a sweet taste. And 
Because such a small amount is needed to get the sweet taste, it isn't really used in baking because sugar has its role in baking. And so it, sugar's got more than just providing sweetness, but it provides some structure to baked goods that saccharin would not be able to provide. So it can be used in baking because it is heat stable. It just isn't often used. And in the past, some of us might remember this, that packets or anything that had saccharin in it did have a warning label on it. And that's been gone since 2000. So the warning label on anything that had saccharin in it did say that it may cause cancer in laboratory animals. Replication studies, and that was back in the 70s where there was a batch of rats, some rats had bladder cancer. That was attributed to saccharin. Now, if you are into, I mean, I love my pets, I love animals, and I very much appreciate that rats and mice do a lot for us to get things started. So these laboratory animals get massive quantities of these sweeteners, and rats were the only ones that had bladder cancer attributed to saccharin use. There's never been any connection to human cancer of any type as it's related to saccharin. And I know some individuals who've had bladder cancer and also they were smokers. So smoking is a bigger contributor to bladder cancer or cancer overall than saccharin. And again, there's been no documented or attributable cases of cancer to saccharin use. So because of the replication studies and long-term studies did not find any connection in humans, because we're not rats, despite what some people may behave be like, um, the FDA said, okay, it's all right to remove this warning label in 2000. So I tell people, if you do have concerns, then avoid saccharin. If you're worried about cancer risk, don't smoke. And if you're worried about cancer risk, go ahead and avoid saccharin. Though the sun's probably more damaging, higher risk of cancer than saccharin is. Now, the third one I'm talking about today is stevia, commonly found in the green packets. Now, stevia is in fact an herb. You could grow it in your backyard along with mint and basil and cilantro and whatever, oregano, whatever else you may be growing. And that herb is known as stevia reb... Ooh, I'm going to do this wrong. Stevia rebadiana. Yes, I did have a question mark there. It's a plant. It's an herb. And as I said, you can grow it in your backyard, in your kitchen, wherever you grow your herb garden, if you even do that. Now, Truvia is a brand name related to stevia, and many companies are using a version of stevia. So for example, Splenda Company has a stevia sweetener, and there's stevia in the raw. Now, stevia is about 200 to 350 times sweeter than sugar. So like the others I've mentioned so far, it only takes a small amount to get that sweet taste. And it can also be used in baking. Now, the FDA has not officially approved this as a sweetener because it is, you know, it's an herb we can buy and use. 
It is under the category of what we call GRAS, generally recognized as safe, G-R-A-S. And it was considered generally recognized as safe in 2008. Now, before this, you didn't find stevia in the same aisle with all these other sweeteners in the grocery store. You could find it over in the supplement aisle and not with the baking sweeteners. And back then, when I say back then, before 2008, I remember buying a packet or a box of 50 packets of stevia sweetener. And this was my thing. I tried it. And a couple years later, I ended up throwing away 48 packets of that stuff. Only because personally, I didn't care for the taste. I didn't like how it tasted. And so it does have a, a unique taste and never really cared for it since. But I do know many people who do love to use stevia as their low calorie or non-nutritive sweeteners. Now, the whole leaves of the stevia plant are not approved as a food additive. So the stevia available for purchase that is used in food or what we use as a, a sweetener or tabletop sweetener is not going to be the entire leaves. So it is ground up and processed. And if you do grow it yourself, you can do whatever you choose because, you know, that's your, your right to do so. You can use it however you like. So there, there is no specific warning as it relates to stevia because it's a plant, but that doesn't mean it can't be harmful in large quantities, just like any other plant. So as I say, with anything, whether we're talking the aspartame, the saccharin, stevia, or the next one, sucralose that I'm going to bring up, a whole lot isn't going to be helpful to us. Now, the fourth and final sweetener that I'm talking about today, or non-nutritive sweetener I'm talking about in this episode, is sucralose. Commonly, most of us will say Splenda, even if we're not using the Splenda brand. And this is commonly found in the yellow packets. So as I said, sucralose is also known as Splenda to a lot of people, although there's other brand names as well. And sucralose is a sugar molecule that has been modified with chloride, not chlorine, chloride, as in sodium chloride, also known as table salt, which is a sodium and a chloride molecule, NaCl. So a sugar molecule modified with chloride. So it's not broken down in the GI tract or your digestive system. So we get the sweet taste without absorbing it. And this was approved for use in 1998. And it became available to the general population in the early 2000s. I remember when this first came out, that it was only targeted for people with diabetes. But then it quickly became available widespread at, at the grocery store and everywhere else. Sucralose is about 600 times sweeter than sugar. So again, a very small amount will give us that sweet taste. And it is heat stable. And it is marketed as being able to be used in baking. But once again, I want to mention that sugar has a specific structure as it relates to baking. So using sucralose will not have the same result as using regular sugar. 
So people can use a mix of half sucralose, half um, sugar if they're using doing baking. So they just wanted to make that known. Now, there's no specific warnings or known risks related to sucralose. Though some people do report it gives them some GI distress or they don't tolerate it well. So as with all things, if there's something you don't tolerate, then don't eat it. Don't use it. Don't consume it. So with all four of these, these sweeteners are considered safe in quantities that most people would consume. And that's the key here in quantities that most people would consume. In laboratory studies, in studying these sweeteners, they use high doses for daily use over a lifetime. That's in the laboratory animals. So they give them high quantities every single day. And that's not shown to have a negative effect. And this is not what most people would consume regularly or even daily, especially not over a lifetime, considering some of these had didn't exist for us to use through a portion of our life, of course, depending on how old you are. Now, I always tell people that if you are concerned about these substances, if you are concerned about their safety, that is fine. You can avoid them. You don't have to. And I just tell people, if you're drinking large quantities of soda, you really need to cut that back. If you're drinking large quantities of regular soda, you really need to cut that back. If you're drinking large quantities of diet soda, you really need to cut that back. So I'm more consumed about, concerned rather about how much somebody is consuming of anything not so much what it is. If people are even eating large quantities of candy every day, that's concerning, whether there's regular sugar in there or not. So when it comes down to it, these are considered safe for human consumptions. Now there is some suggestion that people who use these non-nutritive sweeteners have higher weight. But here's the question on that that's not entirely been answered yet. Is this a cause and effect? So are people who use non-nutritive sweeteners weighing more because of those non-nutritive sweeteners? Are people who weigh more being more conscious of their sugar intake and finding other ways to have the sweet taste without the same amount of calories? Now, this isn't really a philosophical question. We don't know the answer entirely. So, once again, bottom line here is I will say, if you're concerned, don't use them. If you have problems with any of these sweeteners, don't use them. However, having a packet or two in your iced tea or your coffee, or however you may choose to use them, is not going to cause harm. That's real world nutrition. In reality, you're probably getting some of these non-nutritive sweeteners in your medication if you're taking a liquid medication or um, perhaps even in a toothpaste you use. And I know you're not eating these on a regular basis, but I just wanted to make note on the side that could very well be 
substances that you use that you don't even realize. Well, this is a longer episode than usual. I just wanted to cover all of those things. I also want to invite you to join me for my upcoming webinar in early December, Eating is Not Cheating. I am offering that webinar three different days and times at the beginning of December, and I invite you to check it out, register for one of those free webinars, and join me at eatingisnotcheating.com. That's where you can find that information. And I will say bye for now. Take care.